BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of the coolest people I've ever met, not just in wrestling, in anything, Azuka Rocky Romero of New Japan Pro Wrestling, but, you know, Rapongi Vice, uh... Uh, you know, there's, there, we'll get to all this in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, there's a email address, which is turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien. And um, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Turn Out a Punk, on Tumblr, all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, before I go any further, I just want to say, oh, and also I got to say thank you so much to people at Vans. Uh, for sponsoring this podcast and, you know, being cool. Let me do this thing and help me do this thing. Uh, now, what I was going to get to, uh, as some of you that listened to last week's episode know, uh, I experienced a huge tragedy. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's been kind of a been a rough week, um, but we're getting through it. I have to say thank you to every single person that has reached out and and offered condolences or support. Uh, it's been kind of overwhelming, um, but it is really appreciated. And, uh, yeah, we're getting through it, you know. Um, thank you for everyone that, you know, as, uh, you know, yeah. Know there's no, no other way to kind of move on but trying to just move on. So we're just going to move on. But I want to say and acknowledge thank you to everyone that has reached out. And uh, also offer my condolences to anyone who else is experiencing a tragedy right now. I've been in touch with a couple people, or a couple people have reached out, I should say, and expressed that they're going through similar sorts of situations right now. So, you know, condolences to anyone that's, you know, condolences to anyone, I think, and everyone. I think we've all experienced loss, and that's what this has kind of shown me. A lot of people have reached out and kind of expressed what they've been through with the loss of a parent, and... It's hard. It really is hard. And I don't think I thought it would be easy. You know, I don't think anyone thinks that would be easy. But how hard it is, is really been shocking. But, you know, 
you get through it. You, you do carry on because that's what you got to do. That's the reality of life is that we're constantly losing people around us and, you know, eventually we're going to lose ourselves. Um, but we just carry on because that's what we do and we live on for the memories and stuff. So yeah, thank you once again, everyone. I'm sorry, this is really awkward sort of rambling, but there's, uh, like no way to handle this other than an awkward kind of ramble, at least for me. I'm sure people out there that are more eloquent could find the words to sum this up real quick. But, um, yeah, once again, to be redundant, thank you everyone for everything. Okay, now on to uh, today's show. Speaking of awkward transitions, uh, today we are celebrating the announcement of the Turn Out of Punk live in Los Angeles event. Now, we've done some Turn Out of Punk things in the past, you know, like Chris O'Toole and I took this thing on tour. There was that time in Kingston, I got to do a live one, a uh, couple House of Vans live shows, but. This is going to be a different beast altogether. I got to say shout out to Madison from uh, Fury and just, you know, being an all-around cool person, run Suburban Fight, a wrestling organization. He got in touch. Would you want to come out here and do some ring announcing? I agreed. And now I'm going out there. But we are going to be doing a live turn out of punk beforehand in celebration of the connection between punk and wrestling. That's right. That night, there will be an incredible card featuring a main event that it's going to be for the Turn Out of Punk Championship uh, right now. It's between Matt Cross and Brody King, two former guests on the show. You know, also on the undercard, there's the phenomenal wrestler Jeff Cobb against the amazing and also totally tied into punk rock, Darby Allen, Kikitaro's on the card as well. And then I'm going to be doing this live podcast in the afternoon. I've got some cool guests lined up. I guess I'll announce it right now. Uh, Nathan from Waves, finally, after ducking this goddamn podcast for three years, I've gotten him to agree to come and do an appearance on Turned Out of Punk. Had to use wrestlers as a bribe, but you know, I'm not proud. Um, there's also a lot of other cool guests and a lot of cool surprises that I've lined up. And it's going to be a fun time. You know, like I've done these live podcasts. I really enjoy doing the live podcast. But to find a way to integrate wrestling into it. Woo. Woo. And there's going to be like audio visual stuff. It's going to be a good time. So you got to come out to that. This is going to be all at, I should tell you where it is before I ramble on about it too much more. But it's going to be at uh, Resident in L.A., which is 428 South Hewitt Street. It's 21 over, unfortunately, not all ages. I'm, I'm sorry to all my under-21 friends. And it's going to be on Sunday, February 25th at 3 p.m. And there's going to be some other great guests. So once again, thank you so much to Madison. Thank you so much to Suburban Fight. And this is going to be a good time. There's also bands playing <laughs> on that wrestling show. There's a bunch of hardcore bands playing. Um, it's going to be like this is it. This is what I've been talking about for a long time. Wanting to have, you know, like the uh, the punk rock wrestling connection festival. Well, this is it. This is it. It's, it's you know, first kind of form. So from the, you know, this has been a real up and down <laughs> or down and up kind of situation for me. Having a absolutely horrendous week last week and, you know, 
trying to you know get through it but this is something that i'm looking forward to doing this is going to be a really fun time so come on out if you're in los angeles come out and say hello stick around for some wrestling and music that night and check out a live podcast check out a live turn into punk podcast there's gonna be cool merch i'm gonna invite some other cool people that i follow on instagram that make cool merch hopefully to come down and have some wares for sale so it's like you know turn it into something it'll be a record swap only wrestling punk records. You can only swap your wrestle punk records. It's going to be a very boring record swap. Um, no, it will not be a boring event. It will be a fucking amazing event. There's going to be some amazing other guests an, uh, announced in the next couple weeks on the show, you know, in other places. So turn it punk live in Los Angeles. And so because of that, I decided what better way to celebrate than with Los Angeles wrestling hero, Rocky Romero. Now, Rocky is born uh, and raised in Los Angeles, and he is someone that, you know, like, just to me embodies what is amazing about independent wrestling is that you have these people that just carve their own path, and Rocky's the one that carved his own path. He was one of the the early people of this era that was over in Japan, training at New Japan Dojo, and yeah, just I'm a huge fan of him as a wrestler. And so when I found out, when I met up with him in Japan and we're hanging out and he starts dropping, you know, all these conversation points about Operation Ivy. So when I found out that he was also a punk, it blew my mind. I never would have guessed that he was also into punk rock. He had never dropped any hints, you know, didn't work it into any of, uh, you know, Black Tiger kind of spots or anything. So I didn't know. I didn't know until... I found out. And once I was schooled, I had to have him on the show. So this is a fun conversation. It's a really long conversation, but it's it's what I love to do, you know, connect worlds, connect especially the wrestling punk world. But even if you're not a fan of wrestling, this is just a fun conversation about, you know, what it was like to grow up when, you know, physical media was still something that you had to covet and save up for. And, yeah, it's a, it's a fun episode. So I'm not going to ramble anymore. I'm just going to let you sit back and enjoy Rocky Romero. Oh, I guess I, before I, I guess before I do this, I do have to do some other things. Um, some other, you know, uh, please write a review and rate this podcast, subscribe to it, tell your friends about it. And, uh, yeah. And, and thank you. And also Tristan Abraham, my brother and show producer, um, would also like to express his thanks to everyone for the condolences they passed on and stuff. So anyway, on to this show. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy Rocky Romero on Turned Out a Punk. Rocky, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Well, I am, it, uh, I'm just enjoying a, a, a cup of tea here while we talk. Well, I'm enjoying a, uh, a dab of cannabis or two, um, mm. but you know, we all find our ways to relax. <laughs> Damn, you're beating me out by so much, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this is an, a huge thrill for you coming on the show for me because uh, I got to say, like, I try and keep abreast of people uh, that are in your field that cross over to the punk rock world. And when you drop this knowledge on me in Japan, and I said knowledge by deliberate intent there, uh, it, it blew me away because I was not expecting that at all. I, I could understand that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could definitely understand that. But, you know, you can never – one thing I learned about punk rock is you can never judge a book by its cover, right? Absolutely. And I, and I didn't mean to judge you by 
as say I was judging you on a cover or anything like that. It was more the fact right. that you know I knew you produced obviously hip hop beats and rap beats, and you've been doing that for a while, and you've done other music production. But the fact that you know once again it comes back to this three chord little universe known as punk rock, <laughs> uh, I was chuffed. It's wild, man. I'm I'm just uh like it all kind of started. I mean. It, with uh to be honest operation ivy i got introduced to operation ivy and then it just kind of grew from there like this fascination with uh with punk rock like um i, I want to well actually i want to say it, it might have started like with like some like ska stuff like mainstream kind of like sublime well before you uh, go there i, I was going to say yeah i got to start this off the way i start them all off which is rocky how'd you get into punk do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre uh yeah i would okay i think yeah i would have to start it started with like this like that ska punk kind of sound you know like operation ivy you know sublime i got introduced to sublime was obviously you know i grew up in la so Mm -hmm. like sublime was you know everywhere you know growing up you know that was like like you know you know the whole you know skate punk type thing was it was was hot at that moment and uh so you know that that was kind of everywhere but a buddy of mine you know, but for the most part, I just kind of listened to, you know, I mean, listen to a little bit of everything, but I mean, you know, obviously like hip hop was, was also always on, uh, you know, my radio or headphones or, uh, but then a buddy of mine, he was like, dude, you got to listen to this, this album. And I was like, well, what is it? He's like, he's like, it's a little different than probably what you've heard. It's a little harder. And I was like, well, what is it? And he was like, it's this thing called uh, Operation Ivy. And I was like, what the hell is Operation Ivy? And he was like, it. It's like ska punk, but it's like it's not like Sublime. It's like way harder. So then you know he played it for me, and I was like, oh dude, this is this is cool because it had to me it, it was similar to hip hop, like in so many ways because it, it it was it was that raw kind of feeling and you know and I'm talking about like hip hop like you know the Chronic at that time mm-hmm. you know and like shit that had the like you know sound from the streets or from the sound from you know like what some real shit that you were going through, you know, it wasn't, it, it had that edge to it. And, uh, so yeah, he's like, we started listening to that and then it, it just turned into like, well, you know how it is, dude, you, you'd start with one thing and then it's just down the rabbit hole you go, you know? And, uh, you know, the next thing was like, well, you know, another buddy was like, Oh, have you heard of this, this group called the misfits? And I was like, what the hell is the misfits? <laughs> you know? And then it's like, and then you see this, this cool fucking skull crimson ghost fucking symbol. Right. And I'm like, well, this looks cool. And that's all the shit that I was into because I was going to, like, you know, Fangoria conventions and reading, like, uh, Fangoria magazine, if anybody knows what that is anymore. But, like, <laughs> you know, like, like, and just watch it. I would watch, like, shitty B-horror movies, you know, on my spare, t- you know, in my spare time. And then here I found, like, this band that actually writes music about it. It was, like, mind-blowing. Well, like, yeah, we're, when you first were listening to Sublime, before you even got into the punk stuff from that friend, where were you hearing that stuff? Was it just, like, K-Rock, or was it just other radio stations yeah. or other kids in school? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely K-Rock. K-Rock, K-Rock, you know, K-Rock, that's where it started. And then uh, a cousin of mine, he, like, uh, I was in his car one day, and he, like, this is old school, so he, like, was playing this Sublime, uh, you know, I had only heard, like, the, the mainstream hits, you know? Mm-hmm. So like that that uh, that big album uh, that what was it just Sublime I think it was called and uh, so then he um, he was like playing me all their older stuff like Forty Ounces of Freedom and then like these demo tapes that they had all this other stuff that that they had kind of released after and uh, so then I started getting into that and and you know 
you go into the stuff that's before the mainstream hits and that's like a lot closer to like either a completely reggae sound or a completely like punk sound you know mm-hmm. and like but that was the stuff that i was really digging the most so then uh when my when my one of my best friends his name is christian because we were kind of going through all this around you know discovering this new music kind of together and then that was like the band that stuck out the most to me uh you know really kind of that crossover into you know that kind of ska punk sound heavy punk sound you know well, and also because you mentioned that being in the Fangoria stuff, where were you kind of getting into that stuff? Once again, was it just kind of like, I guess, video store culture? Like that's where I was, because that sounds exactly like what yeah. I was into at the time. Exactly, you no know, video store culture. Exactly, you know, dude, just independent film was so big at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, Reservoir Dogs had a huge impact on me, of course. You know, like this is the early 90s, you know, Pulp Fiction is like still my favorite movie of all time just because uh, I've never seen anything like it, you know? Yeah. And uh, and it's so like that. Ju- and then so I started getting into, you know, that's the first time I got into like a soundtrack, you know? So I was like heavily into this, you know, I'm a teenager and I'm into, you know, then they have this killer soundtrack. And then I started to realize that how important soundtracks, you know, music were to movies, you know, which I really loved. And then it just, like you said, uh, you know, going to the uh you know the 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 video store and then just checking out like what are you know everything basically you know it's like going to the video store you know over the weekend i pick like two or three uh vhs you know tapes and <laughs> you know that that would I'd have them for like a week you know or whatever it was you know so i would just i would just keep watching just crazier crazier stuff and then you know i and then i started to really like dig the uh the whole horror genre you know the gory kind of stuff, and then uh, and then yeah, around the same time I discovered the Misfits. Well, yeah, because like you know people get down on Tarantino now, and obviously you know he's open to critiques certainly, but for a lot of us it was just like he was such a, a beacon for exposure to kind of alternative culture through oh yeah, Pulp Fiction and and, and Reservoir Dogs even. Hmm. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I like. I didn't even know. Like, I didn't even think that there. You know. Like there was like a thing about independent film or like what that even meant, you know, and you know, and this is the culture of ECW, you know, going back to wrestling, like it all kind of was like all going on at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. you had independent film, independent wrestling, this ECW, uh, you know, culture. And, you know, I'm a teenager. So like I'm looking for everything that's not my parents generation or like not what's, uh, you know, just like out in front of you, like, culture-wise, you know, mainstream stuff, you know, I'm looking for, like, the, all the cool stuff so I can go, you know, so I can share it with my friends and be like, dude, I found this, look at that, and they're like, oh, shit, I found this, you know, so it's like, that's that's our lives, you know, as as kids, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out who we are, and, uh, you know, we're so we're just kind of, like, open to everything, you know, and, it, and it's cool to, to take in all that knowledge because it doesn't always last forever, you know, well, that funny. kind of mentality. Yeah, well, definitely now, especially, like, looking back on it, but... It, it's funny because now, you know, we're jumping the wrestling conversation way earlier than I was hoping to hold myself off on <laughs> with it. But <clears throat> you mentioned ECW back then. But I think wrestling's kind of going through that same period film was going through and music had gone through a couple years earlier with Nirvana or rock and roll, I should say, has gone through a couple years earlier with Nirvana. I think wrestling's going through that period now. Right, right. Yeah, I think that that, that wave before 
you know, like it was big, the ECW era, I should mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and then that obviously influenced the attitude era and, and everything. But, um, I, it wasn't really independent, right? I, you're right. Like it's truly, truly, truly like a renaissance of like independent, uh, you know, promoters and, and wrestlers and artists trying to, you know, just creating something from nothing. Mm-hmm. You know? And what's cool is like, you know, uh, back then, you know, obviously ECW didn't didn't uh, really work out because they, you know, a didn't have funding because it was expensive to be on TV and to compete with other people. But now, you know, all I got to do is turn on my, you know, a couple iPhones can broadcast it to the world. Mm-hmm. It's like the perfect, yet again, like like wrestling was used, you know, back in you know back in the day as like uh, easy to understand entertainment and was cheap to produce. It's basically doing that again, but now here we are in you know in the uh, you know in the uh, internet era or you know whatever like you you want to call it nowadays. But um, you know because it's easy to do, it's it, people understand it, and you know there's a, there's a market for there'll always be a market I think for wrestling. Absolutely, and I think. I think the other thing that, you know, and you're one of the pioneers of this, like, you know, I think the analogy of comparing it to music is perfect because I think to me, ECW is kind of the, uh, the Velvet Underground, the Stooges and the MC5. Mm. Um, and now what happened was, you know, people like yourself, people like Brian Danielson, like CM Punk, like the rest of the Bullet Club, you know, like I think there was this whole shift where all of a sudden, all these wrestling fans that were kind of, I, you know, speaking as a wrestling fan, bored by what was being presented, were able to look and be like, oh, my God, there's this whole other world, which to me must have been what it felt like if you were being spoon-fed, you know, Millie Vanilli and <laughs> right. even Metallica at that point. And then all of a sudden you heard Nirvana and Mudhoney and Alice right. in Chains even for the first time. Right, right. No, definitely. You know, it's it's crazy because, like, not, like – now that you know we're we're, we're kind of talking, it's like I was. I'm thinking about like even even in my early wrestling uh, years when I was at the LA Dojo, uh, you know, here in New Japan, that you know when they had their LA Dojo here in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and the first person I ever heard reference wrestling to music was Antonio Inoki. Really? He would be. He would. He, yeah. He would. He would like. He would use this analogy like. Multiple times when, like, I, yeah, well, first of all, you know, like, it was his dojo, you know, it was his place to train. So, like, he would come in. I mean, he was, you know, he was the guy who was a senator. He was, you know, uh, he's a great businessman. He basically created New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, and, and turned it into, you know, especially in the 80s, the strongest wrestling company, you know, in the world. Hmm. Um, but he was a mastermind at, re- you know, wrestling and professional wrestling psychology and all these storylines. He made, you know, all these stars. You know, Hulk Hogan got his first huge break. Made Hogan, you know, he really did. And uh, so he would say, like, you know, matches, you know, wrestling matches are exactly like music. You know, you have ups, you have downs. Sometimes you hold a note. And when you hold that note, it's like, it's like you know, prolonging, like, uh, the drama a little longer, you know, waiting. And people are just waiting for the next the next drop you know basically and then boom you you give them your finale but he he would say stuff like that and you know as a as a 19 year old kid you know i'm listening to it and i'm and 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 it's clicking a little bit for me because i you know i was i was heavily into music and you know and like you know i had banned my friend you know we had this little shitty garage band you know and stuff like that so like i had a little something to kind of play off of you know but i could i could easily understand what he was saying you know and uh and I thought I thought that that was that was always interesting, and that's still something that like I try to bring up. Like if uh, if I if I do like a seminar or anything like that, I kind of like try to throw that in there because I think it's a great way to uh, for uh, for a young uh, wrestler to understand, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, I, I, you know, now we can kind of find an easy segue to get back to the journey. Um, right. So sorry, I'm all over the place. No, this is this. Believe me, that's exactly what this show is all about: being everywhere at once. Hopefully. Um, so yeah, because you you make your debut in wrestling super young, right? Yeah, yeah. I debuted at uh, at 16 years old uh, here in Southern California in uh, I mean in a Mexican restaurant in front of like 20 people. <laughs> So, so, so are you getting yeah. into the, you're getting into punk and kind of getting, you know, more aware of this at the exact same time as you're kind of getting into training for wrestling, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Dude, I'm blasting fucking all kinds of shit on the way. You know, wrestling practice is like about 60 minutes from my house. OK, so, you know, I turn 16. I get you know, I get my driver's license and, uh, you know, now I'm able to, to like train like full time. You know, I can go like twice a week or three times a week, you know, mm. compared to like once every couple of weeks, you know, if, you know, I was lucky if my mom or someone get my dad gave me a ride. So, cause it's like an hour away. So now I'm like driving mom's car, blasting, you know, all kinds of shit, social distortion, fucking, <laughs> uh, the misfits were in there. Like, um, God, tons of shit, tons of shit. Cause now like, you know, now I'm going to like, so I'm, I'm not wrestling. I'm, I'm now I'm going to like local gigs and stuff. Like mm-hmm. we're going to see like, you know, the, the these like uh, you know local bands. Like I remember one band like Beware was it? And, you know, in like uh, Union Thirteen was big around oh, here. Union Thirteen's fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it was cool because you know we had that. So like a lot of like uh, like where I grew up, it's like a lot of like uh, Latinos that are into punk music. So they had you know we would go to these gigs in Pomona and like we'd be moshing and like getting all fucked up and like just having a great time and just listening to music, no matter how shitty or how great it was, it was awesome. It was one of the best times of my life. And then when I wasn't doing that, I was, you know, I was doing wrestling, which was, you know, my major goal, you know? Mm -hmm. So did you, and then somewhere in there was school (laughs) somewhere. (laughs) You find a way to fit that in somehow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I guess like, uh, what part of Los Angeles did you grow up in? Uh, a town called West Covina, so it's like it's like a LA suburb. It's okay. about um, yeah, maybe like forty minutes outside of downtown, east. So, what was the first show you ever went to? Do you remember? The first show I ever went to. Oh shit! Uh, or even early ones. Man, what was it, dude? Yeah, the first show I ever went to. I'm trying to remember the band's name. I forgot. <laughs> they were that memorable. <laughs> oh. No, they were good. They're, it was, dude, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. <laughs> that, that's what completely changed. Because I didn't even go, like, this time I went to, like, uh, dude, I remember it was at um, the Troubadour. And we drove over there, and I'm, like, you know, around, 50, like, 16, I guess. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, God, I could, wish I could remember their name can't remember but um they're like an epitaph band and uh like so yeah we pulley, went uh, what it, I'm, like from la area do you know no nah, they weren't from la um snfu no I'm trying to run through my epitaph roster around uh 1997 right would that be six <laughs> yeah like 96 97 okay. yeah dude they were on the you know they were they were on like those sample dvds that they used to get those awesome ass sample dvds yeah. that epitaph just put up <laughs> yeah the epitaph those, uh, those things are fucking dope punk punkorama so punkorama there's oh a company 
There's a company out of Texas that made a pin of Punkarama, like the Epitaph Monster on Punkarama. I think it's volume five or six. Oh, that's awesome. That I have, and I'm uh, yeah, I'm definitely definitely a big fan of those comp series. Uh, it wasn't Poison Idea, was it? No, okay. no. It, it they God, they played with um, they played with this like band, this one uh, like ska punk band. They used to play this like drink and drink and fight song, and then uh, that they were like. They weren't the headliner. Damn, I can't remember what their name was. Anyway, it was an awesome concert. They were awesome. I should, I gotta, I, I should find it. Uh, that's that. I, really, <laughs> I can fix it in the intro. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll have to go back to it. Yeah, exactly. It. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, that was like the first concert I've. I think that was like the first like actual like concert gig I've ever been to. Like and then uh, and then it was just like oh man this is the greatest thing ever our car got towed <laughs> and uh, we had to like walk like three miles to, and we and, and like like my my buddy's like sister came down like lo- like loaned him like three hundred bucks to go, like get his car out and like it was it was like it was it was, it was pretty cool a full experience <laughs> yeah it was awesome it was awesome. <laughs> So where did you kind of go from, uh, you know, you saw that concert. Was it like kind of immediately after that that you're going to trying to go to local shows or was it a slower entry? Well, uh, a couple of my friends were kind of already doing that. So like that just kind of opened the doors for me to like really pay attention to like, hey, there's like scenes, you know, everywhere, you know, you know, there's like these little scenes kind of everywhere. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we would go down to like the local like, you know, record shop slash comic book store. And, uh, you know, we we go we go buy to buy you know exactly like punkaramas and that's when like the sample the sample cds were like huge yeah and uh you know era right so then you go you know there's like a bulletin board and then you know everybody's got like the local gigs like that around so like that's something that i never really like paid attention to but because i had such a great experience at that show then it was like well shit you know look this this fucking concert's go or this little gig is going on over here in you know Pomona why don't we all go and you know so then that was it you know we like packed in the car went down to the gig you know to somebody's backyard and uh you know it was it was awesome you know just everybody standing around waiting for the band to start or play or show up and you know everybody's kind of hanging out and talking and it was just cool it was like you know it was it, like this whole new world and and you know, it was, and it was people from all different walks of life, which I thought was cool too, because it wasn't just like, oh, it's just like you know, your punk guy, you know, with like you know, he's got like purple hair, you know. It was like you know, this guy. There was you know, like some nerdy kids. There were some jocks, you know. It was like people from you know, just that. You know, I just enjoyed music, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't about any, anything else. And then, uh, and then you know, the band would show up, and it, you know, by that time, everybody was nice and toasty, and. Uh, you know, they played the the music and people would start moshing. And there was like, it was, it was crazy too. Cause like at this time, you know, I was going to like house parties and stuff like that. And there'd always be like fight. And at these shows, everybody's like getting all their aggression out, but nobody's really fighting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which was kind of crazy to me too. And it, it just kind of like, was like, Oh shit. Cause it, it just wasn't about that. You know, it was just about the energy and, and, you know, and letting, letting yourself go, but not letting yourself like completely out of control, you know, where you're like, you're just a dick. Cause nobody wanted to be the dick in, in the pit either, you know? <laughs> well, there's always one. Completely. Unfortunately. Yeah. There's always one. That's true. <laughs> That's true. 
That's so, true. but for the most part, you know, I th- I don't, you know, yeah, my well, it's a totally different vibe really than high like school that, parties. Right, right. So I thought it's just yeah, and the, I don't know, man. It was just it was it was one of the 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 best times of my life, really. Like, uh, just you know, going to gigs, doing some wrestling here and there. But but I like because I was so young, there wasn't really anybody for me to uh, to wrestle. So I, so like they would have shows like the group that I started with, they would have shows, but like half the time we wouldn't even be booked because you know a we were like underage. So mm-hmm. there's certain places that we couldn't wrestle if they had like a bar show or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So so it, I, it, I'm gl- I'm glad that it worked out that way though because this this ended up being uh, I think an important experience you know for me later. Yeah, like how did you kind of get into wrestling? I guess at this point because you are so young. <clears throat> Just. A fucking huge fan just a crazy <laughs> crazy huge fan like i remember the aol days like uh going with my mom to her job yeah to, to use the internet you know this thing <laughs> called the internet yep <laughs> and uh because we didn't have it at the house so i would go there and i i was like uh i would ask my mom i asked my mom for like a binder and she like, and she was like, and there, you know, it was like, she worked for like a, like a pretty big company. So she was like, yeah, you know, whatever, if you need to print some stuff out, you know, if you want to do some research. Uh, yeah. So I'm doing research on wrestling. So I'm like printing like <laughs> Shawn Michaels, real names. There's like lists of like wrestlers, real names and shit. Like that's what I'm doing. So I made this huge binder and then I would take it home and then I would just read it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I had like all this knowledge that about wrestling that, you know. I, I don't even know if I really needed, but but I mean, I, I was studying wrestling. I was like literally studying fucking wrestling, like who were the champions and in what years, and uh, you know, just like uh, you know, all the a glossary of terms of insider terms and shit, like mm-hmm. you know, what a gig is and you know, you know, what a bump is and this and that. But so like that was like one of the time, like that was like right before maybe like two years, three years before I started training. And that was, that was just like, that's when I knew that I wanted to do it. Like no matter what. So my plan was like when I was 18, that I was going to, uh, I saw that movie, uh, what was it called? The, uh, the documentary with Mick Foley, Beyond the rock Mat. beyond the mat. So they cover APW, right? So yeah. I'm like, I'm going to APW when I turn 18. I'm just going to move. I'm going to move to San Francisco. You know, I'm a kid too, so I don't really understand how hard maybe that really is, you know, <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I figured, I don't know. I think I, I had a drive for it that I probably would have ended up doing it somehow, but I mean, it would, it would have been hard, like hard as fuck, I'm sure. But, oh, yeah. um, yes, but some, you know, one of these times, like we finally got the internet in the house and I, and I was going, you know, I was looking online and I, f- I found like a like a, a blog post or or like an early thing with like pictures about this this group called the Empire Wrestling Federation in San Bernardino, California, and I and I saw that they had a school. You know, it must have been a GeoCities website. It was like way before blog. <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah, it must have been, yeah. GeoCities, jeez, I think I even had a GeoCities like web page for like uh, with that da- was, Ali McBeal was, baby dancing. As a GIF animation <laughs> yeah, on it, or yeah. pre-GIF, whatever that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. I think I, ha- I think I was a part of like a, uh, an E Federation <laughs> that time. Yeah, and I think that's why I had like a Geo Smitty's page or something. Like, well, it's funny because like, I was, I was, go on. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it was that that for like kids like us, it was such an amazing moment when 
the internet was accessible and all this information, which in some cases it was foreboding, in other cases was just inaccessible, was now at the touch of a finger, you know, like in that, we take it for granted now, but for kids who grew up, you know, in video store culture, this was like a, a godsend. Oh, yeah. Dude, crazy. Out the hours that, you know, especially in the beginning, like, I mean, still now even, but just being up and just, you know, like those early days of the rabbit hole, oh, going, yeah. you know, it <laughs> was insane, you know, but that, but then not really fully understanding it because like, that's why, like not realizing that information is not going anywhere. Right. Once it's on the internet, it's there forever. Mm -hmm. But like, that's why I was trying to print it out and shit, you know? Cause I was like, well, fuck, you know, this, I don't know about this internet then. <laughs> like if it goes away, <laughs> like, at least I've got this book, you know, this, this wrestling Bible, you know? Well, so, Y2K was around just, the corner, you know, like who knew what was going to happen? Everything was going to be erased. Everything yeah, was going to be erased. We'd have to start over. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it, uh, it did feel like that too. Like, you know, like you had to hold on to this information because prior to that, if you didn't hold on to the information, it was gone. Like you had to have a book or a CD right. or a VHS tape or, or something. Um, so I was the same way. I've, I still have binders at home with like, Information from the Pusshead website about record pressing, you know, <laughs> you know, because I still worry that the internet might just go away one day. <laughs> well, you never know. You, you know, never know. You never know. It's just right. a passing trend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It just yeah. What a wild time and like interacting with people from other countries, mm -hmm. other states, other you know, all, you know, other cities. It, it's like. I, all at the touch of fingers, like I told you, I was in that E Federation, and and you know, like it was with these kids that were like on the East Coast, like that, you know, they like ran, you know, and I was like making up me these shitty like you know backyard wrestling names like Cactus Bill, and I was like in there, and that was my name, and you know, I had my E Fed guy, and I had made him a little web page so everybody could see his stats and shit, and I mean, that's cool. <laughs> It was, and, and also it's amazing how many people like, you know, yourself and, and, you know, people that were working on the fire pro wrestling translation would go right. on to actually change wrestling and be involved in wrestling and, 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 you know, be major parts of wrestling. Like it's, it seems like that was like a major jump on point in the same way, like to bring it back to music, Green Day, when Green Day got popular, was a major jump on point for punk music mm -hmm. for a lot of kids, you know, like right. that accessibility, I think, you know, at least seems like it would have made it a lot easier for people to kind of like, you, you know, find out if this was the right place for them to kind of head. Right, bro. Let, I mean, let's let the next generation after that, LimeWire, Napster, yeah. Yeah. holy shit, <laughs> yeah. you know? Fucking LimeWire. A lot of people, you know, you know LimeWire. You know oh, LimeWire? I remember LimeWire. Absolutely, I had a Mac. I had to use LimeWire. <laughs> Dude, LimeWire. Holy crap! I mean, not not only could you get you know pay per views and all this other cool stuff, DVDs that were you know that people had uploaded, you know, peer to peer, but then you know, music obviously was you know insane. Mm -hmm. You know, all kinds of stuff like. I just, I didn't really know where to put it. You know, I was just burning CDs constantly, you know? Yeah. So like, I, like in my mom's car on these drives, I would, ha I like, I finally, uh, asked, uh, like my dad or something to buy me like one of those thick ass, like binders with CD binders, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
and and just like I, I said, all I want, like all I wanted for like my birthday was like that, and just like one of those hundred, like a hundred or fifty CD like stacks. They don't <laughs> towers. Even have, like, yeah, the towers. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, I was just that. That was like my hobby, you know. I would just collect, you know, just like the same way as, as I collected the uh, the wrestling bible that you know that I that I just you know I started collecting music, you know, mm-hmm. and and a lot of just a, a lot of it was. Uh, at that time was like, you know, punk and, and, you know, all kinds of, you know, then it started, you know, then, even, you know, it, I started going even more down the rabbit hole. And like, uh, at this time, like my friends started getting into like, you know, some like rockabilly and country music and this and that. So like, you know, people were, people, it was a cool time because people would be like, Oh, check this out. You just go on there and type it in and then boom, you'd have something to listen to. And well, not that quickly. You usually like you have to do it overnight or whatever, you know. But uh, <laughs> you set all your devils before you went to bed, and then you'd wake up the next morning and be like <laughs> yeah. a gift for you. Exactly, exactly. You're ready to rock, and hoping that you know there wasn't an error or nothing. Yeah, or it wasn't over. a scam then, file. Right, or if the dude or person wasn't, you know, whoever like it was like peer to peer. So if, I don't know if they if they weren't online or it wasn't accessible, then you couldn't get it. Like, oh yeah, it was like we, you know, it was crazy, but um. But yeah, dude, I I spent a lot of time burning CDs, but I also spent a lot of time like buying CDs and stuff. But obviously, as when you're a teenager, you can't really, uh, you know, buy tons of CDs. Unfortunately, you know. Well, but yeah. uh, people have talked about it on the show before too, and it's kind of come up that that like you mentioned, like you had friends that were getting into rockabilly or country music. Like we we're kind of the last generation that really had to pick a genre because you had limited resources, so you'd have to pick something mm-hmm. you were into. And that's where you directed all your resources. But, you know, as the free information era kind of dawned, you know, kids don't have to do that anymore. At least that's what it would seem to me. Right. You can be in everything. I mean, yeah. And everything, literally everything. Yeah. Everything. And, and, and it's how easy it is to find something that you like because, you know, whether you're on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes – right when you're done listening to that song, you've got like 10 different similar or somebody, you know, or if somebody listened to that song, they could tell, you know, they recommended this or that, you know, like just within seconds, you know, it wasn't, it's no, it's not like your friend telling you, Oh, this is this great band. You know, I just found them. Now it's like, boom, it's within seconds. It's like, Oh, well here's 10 more bands just like it, you mm-hmm. know, or similar, you know, which is kind of crazy. And I can't keep up with it. <laughs> you know, yeah, like no. I find it hard. I find it hard to, to keep up with, but but sometimes when you know it, it is nice like to not have to uh, search, I guess. But then there's a part of me where like I don't know, like old school, like it, it's kind of cool, like hearing it from somebody that you know, mm-hmm. you know, personally, being like, you should listen to this. This is like really good, and then you taking the time to listen to it, and then be either liking it or hating it, you know. Or so like, yeah, or like something growing on you. It just seems like that's not right. really something that happens anymore. Yeah, yeah, like it totally. I, I think I totally agree with you because, like, I don't know how many like, like it almost seems like people like people don't listen to albums anymore mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. really like make albums. Yep, they're just kind of making like just singles, you know, quick songs, you know, and like, it's just like you go from song to song to song, listen to Spotify, and like you don't really listen to the whole album and like really getting entrenched because like an album you got to listen to you know multiple times to really like understand and feel you know every once in a while you get that rare album that you're so into that band that it's like 
okay, cool. You can just play the whole thing over and over. But uh, I, I love, I, and I don't know if other people still do this, but but like, I mean, like p- kids are doing it nowadays, I guess. But uh, like, I love like going through old albums and just and downloading them, and then just uh, you know, go listen to the whole thing from from front to back, basically, mm-hmm. you know, uh, beginning to end. And then trying to find you know like inspiration and stuff like that from from those kind of albums, especially like when I was writing um, these little mixtapes that I did, like that that's the best thing when there's an album and there's a story behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of miss the old days of the booklets. You know, like going through you know the the artwork and seeing you know and reading along with it. You know, well, you just don't really get that anymore. It's kind of completely. I mean, obviously, it's just completely different, you know? Yeah, no, you don't have to study the liner notes to find out what band the band you liked liked to know what to buy next type thing. Right. Um, And and also, it's just like the the models change, like the economic model. Like, it used to be on album sales. Now it's on content. So, like, the idea is to try and put out as much content as possible, keep the subscribers up on your Spotify, keep your plays up on your streaming services, and that will be how you generate your survival income, I guess, for your band or your, or your, mm-hmm. or as an artist. Um, right. It's but, a full-time job. Yeah, oh God, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really now, you know, before like what you mean, you could make an album and sit on that album for years, right? Yeah. Oh, Tour absolutely. And, you know, but it, it's, those days are long gone, huh? Oh, the cycle's like three months now, if that, like, you know, <laughs> and then you've got to be doing something new. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, it's like just the reality of what it is today. Right. Right. Um, have you read that book that the, came out about the Wu-Tang record that that horrible Martin Screlly guy ended up buying? <laughs> I know I didn't read the book, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The book's really interesting because they talk about trying to create a different model, which is based on creating a work of art and trying to sell that work of art for the price that a work of art would go for. In this case, what was it, three million? I think they sold it for four million. Right. Um, but it was just the idea that you create a one-off, and that one-off, as opposed to being what we have now, which is just you know sourcing your income from millions and millions of people. This is sourcing your income from one person, I guess. Um, but it's a fascinating book. It's really interesting. That's wild. That's actually really interesting. Um, That's out there it's out there because it seems so foreign right like to think about you know like that's so against what i feel like music is because i mean mm-hmm. like whoa the way that we think about it is like you you may if you make something you want to get it to as many people as you can right that's mm-hmm. just that's just what we're we're known to you know like for generations you know i think that i think i don't know i feel like you know any artist you're always thinking about like how you know I think a part of you wants to, to reach as many people as you can, no matter what. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of wild that you, I don't know. It's just weird. It's just such a foreign concept. And well, but then it becomes like, it. well, it's a business, right? Like, so at the end of the day, yeah. you know, and I think that's why wrestling has always held so much appeal to me is because it's the most honest thing in the world, because it's the, one of the few things that out of the gate is says that it's about making the money, you know, and it's about, mm. It's a business, all business is ultimately about making money. And, you know, as much as music is about art and the creation of art and and hopefully making beautiful, meaningful things, as soon as it becomes the music business, it has to be about turning a profit. Right. Um, 
Not to get depressing uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, no, it's, it's not depressing. I think, I think it's fascinating. I just, like, I don't know. Like, I think my, my, my wrestler brain started to think, like, you know, how how could that you know relating us just relating wrestling to it you know like wrestling for one person you know mm-hmm. like or you know or, or such a small elite group of people like doing a match or or you know creating something like for that would would be so weird you know <laughs> wouldn't it be like the ultimate custom match right exactly, exactly. like finding like that yeah, million yeah. dollar benefactor <laughs> Right, right, and I'm sure it's happened multiple times, you know, so many times. But wouldn't Ted Turner be that? Wouldn't that whole WCW thing be kind of an example of finding that benefactor and just underwriting it everything with that benefactor? Well, I mean, technically, if you really want to say, I mean, I think you know the whole WWE. If you talk to certain wrestlers, could would would agree with that that you're just wrestling for one person, (laughs) really. So an audience of one. I guess it all it all makes sense. (laughs) It all makes sense. At the end of the day, we're all just the Wu Tang making albums for Martin (laughs) Screlly. As sad as that seems. That's it. That's it. (laughs) Uh, Back to music. You mentioned earlier that you had a band. How did you get into playing music? Just you know this that this you know this time as a teenager just uh just you know really discovering music and and uh different types of music uh the the same friend who introduced me to hop ivy picked up a a guitar one day and started teaching himself how to play guitar and he was like uh you know you know rock you're gonna you're gonna sing and i'm like what (laughs) he's like you're gonna be the singer and i'm gonna be (laughs) i'm gonna be the guitarist and, you know, he's like, we had another friend, uh, friend who was a little older. He played the bass. And then uh, he was like, okay, we just need a drummer. And the only drummer I knew was my, my younger cousin. And he was like, dude, you got to get your, your your younger cousin to come over and play. So I, I got my younger cousin to come over and play. He had no interest in playing with us, but, you know, <laughs> I kind of forced him to. He was, like, in band. He was, like, a like really good drummer. Like, he's actually, like, uh, you know, like a musician. And then the rest of us are just kind of playing musicians. So, like... I don't know, like just because we were older, we like forced them into it, and like, but you know, we we wrote some songs, and uh, you know, we recorded them uh, just in my garage and shit, and like, uh, I got a couple dates because I showed some chicks the, these songs that we had written, and they thought it was so cool, and I was like, oh shit, music is dope. <laughs> <laughs> what was the band called? Uh, God, what was it like? We had like three, we had like three names, and we never like could pick one, which one it was going to be. <laughs> one was like Cornerstone. One was like, God, there was like four something or other. I don't know. Um, my buddy came up with all the names. I, I think we never could decide. Cause I was like, I don't know, dude, all those names suck. <laughs> it was like that conversation just continually, continually. We never really played a gig or anything. Then like, you know, we just practiced like, I don't know, 30 times, 25 times. Like it was a, a good number of times. But then we just we just like we just like to play and then just record. You know, we played the same five songs, like three original ones, and then like two like covers, and and then we just would record them over and over and over and over, <laughs> and then just listen to them like on the weekends and shit. Did you ever put them out so, as a tape yeah, at all, or did you ever put them out in any way? No, no, no. I would love to find them. They got to be in my mom's house. 
Oh yeah, you gotta somewhere. find her. You gotta put I that will. out. I gotta find that. Yeah, dude. But I like. I thought it was so cool because I, I, I we had whatever we had like a really good version of a couple songs. Well, at least in our minds, what we thought was a really good version. So uh, I remember showing these like couple chicks, and they like they they thought it was so cool. They just <laughs> and then which just made me think that dude. Well, you know, wrestling doesn't work out, you know. And then, oh, that was another. And then that was another thing. Like me, my, me and my friend would have we'd have these like my buddy who <laughs> kind of forced me into this band. We'd have these heart to hearts, you know, because you start recording music, you start th- you know, or whatever. You start doing anything, you start thinking that you're that you're going to be great at it, right? Yeah, one day so Hopeless like, Records is going to come knocking. <laughs> exactly. So then, uh, my my buddy had to have this heart to heart with me, like, well, you know, we're getting really good at this, so you know, if you know you should think about maybe not doing this wrestling thing and, you know, and, and doing the band thing, you know? And I was like, dude, I'm all into wrestling. You know, this is all, all I ever wanted. So like, we literally like, we got into a fight about it and we like, didn't talk for like a week because he wanted me to quit wrestling and join the band like completely, you know, and like, and go after music. And, uh, you know, I was like, I was like, nah, dude, the wrestling is my thing. You know, like I had, in my mind, I had already put in so many years of, studying that wrestling bible and you know you know and like studying wrestling and wanting it so much that there was you know i i i didn't want to do anything else you know i didn't like i didn't even want to go to college or anything i just wanted to focus on wrestling as soon as i possibly could mm-hmm. well i i guess i think i cut you off earlier when you're telling the story like how did you kind of get <laughs> into wrestling like you you were saying you found uh a GeoCities website for the purposes of right. dating it, I guess. But you found a website or some sort of uh, article online. Right. Everybody who's, who doesn't know what a GeoCities website is going to be like, what the fuck is a GeoCities website? Well, but- they, they listen to this on a smartphone or on their computer, so they can very yeah. easily Google GeoCities. A- Angel Fire. Angel was like Fire. One, was That's it? the other one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I found the GeoCities website and, uh, you know, for Empire Wrestling, School hard knocks, and they had you know like their big claim to fame at that time was they trained Spicoli. Oh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, so you know he at this time he was you know he had I think he was just in ECW or he was just going to WCW at that time somewhere around there right. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like you know but that's like a name that you know not a huge name but you know that that's hey that person's on TV, they're doing something. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so I, you know, I found out and I told my, another good friend of mine, Jason, who, you know, we were doing like backyard wrestling and shit like that. So I was doing all kinds of crazy shit at this time. So <laughs> did they cross so, over uh, at all backyard wrestling and music? It was there ever like shows in backyards that also had wrestling. No, no, there were, there were, it was like my wrestling friends were like one kind of like section. And then I had like, you know, know my my other friends who were like you know who you know we would go to gigs and shit with and you know and you know uh and and house parties and shit you know and never shall the two rarely my my one bet yeah my one best friend just because he liked hanging out like he would come over to the wrestling parties he wasn't really into wrestling but he would like watch him just so he could like hang out yeah basically you know so uh um but uh yeah that but they never other than that they never really crossed paths and, uh, so I told, I told my friend Jason, I was like, dude, I found, dude, I found it. I found the place. I was like, it's only like a, like an hour from here. You know, we can go down there and then I could, I could see he was like, oh, cause he wanted to be a wrestler too. Yeah. 
So I, uh, I, I talked to my mom. I was like, mom, can you please take me, you know, can you take us down there just to check it out? And blah, blah. she's like, well, did you call or anything? And I was like, well, all right, let me, I mean, cause I don't even know if they can take us, you know, but I was just thinking, let's go and watch, you know, just to go check it out. Like I, I hadn't really like, so all, this whole time I'm just going to like WWF shows. I had just found WCW when, you know, the Nitro days, when they just started to kind of like, when they first got to, uh, on Nitro or mm-hmm. they just made Nitro. But other than that, like, it, I was just a WWF kid growing up. So I went to, so me and my friend Jason, we went to a, a like a, like a local, uh, house show in, in Anaheim. And then we found this guy that was passing out flyers for an independent show. And that was like my first understanding of independent wrestling outside of WWF and WCW or ECW really. Mm-hmm. In, especially in in like Southern California, because the only people that I knew of that were independent wrestlers were guys like Reckless Youth, and you know like uh, Steve Bradley or you know whatever his name was. Like these guys that were like East Coast wrestling, like ECWA or whatever. And uh, so uh, we, you know he passes us flyers. He's like, oh, we're here every Sunday. You should come check our show out. Sorry, where so were you we finding up with these guys, like Reckless Use and stuff? Were you buying like PW Inside? PWI. PWI. Yeah, that PWI. Yeah, little internet stuff, but PWI mostly. Yeah. Okay. But I didn't think that. I thought that like independent wrestling must be just like a very small thing, and it's only on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. So, like, I didn't think that there would be independent wrestling anywhere in California, let alone Los Angeles. I just that that wasn't even a, a thought or a thing, you know, because I'd never seen it. So then when these guys were passing out flyers as we were leaving, you know, the Anaheim Pond, uh, you know, this guy, Martin Marine, I, I, later I, I'll, I'll know who he is later in my life. But he, he passed me this flyer and, he, you know, he's like, oh, we're here every Sunday and it's in a swap meet in Anaheim. So, uh, so we, we go, we check out that like Sunday show and, you know, I'll never forget there, you know, there's this guy, Cincinnati red who later, you know, became somebody who, who, uh, you know, helped to influence me later and, you know, locally. And, um, uh, there was like seven or eight guys that they were just independent wrestling in front of like 20 people. You know, and we and me and my buddy were fucking loving it. We we couldn't believe that we found wrestling basically in our backyard. Yeah. You know, and the, and we were like, we couldn't understand it. They're like, these guys are pros, but they're not like, they're not in the majors. And but we we thought they were all just so fucking awesome, which was cool. You know, like we were just we were just such fans that I look back now, they weren't the the greatest like technically skilled guys or like the greatest entertainers or anything. But in my mind at that moment, because I love, I, you know, I loved wrestling so much. They were like, I was like, fucking Vince should be signing this guys, you know, like, I yeah. just didn't understand. You know, I was like, why, why aren't, you know, why aren't these guys signed? You know, like just couldn't get it. So, um, and it just blew my mind. So anyway, so like, that's that. So that's where I started to kind of like look for like independent wrestling. And then I, you know, obviously the, the movie came out, I saw APW, but then, uh, in, I continued my search and then that's when I found the the school hard knocks so when i told my mom i was like you know can we go over there she was like well did you call first you know can we even go so then i called and i talked to jesse hernandez who ended up becoming my trainer and i was like hey man uh you know i'm 60 or i'm 15 at this time i'm 15 years old me and my friend you know we want to just you know come check out the school because we're thinking about you know becoming wrestlers when we like turn 18 he's like oh you don't have to be 18 if you as long as you have your mother's permission uh bring you know have her come in and 
yeah, we got a kid here who's like who's like 14, 15 too, so we'll just throw him in the ring with you guys. I was like, <laughs> I was like what? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, no problem. Just have her come down when you get, and we'll sign you guys up. And I was like, what the fuck? So like, you know, my mind was blown. So I, I you know, I, I tell my, I immediately call my friend, and, and I was like, dude, we can go down there. We just got to get our parents to say, yeah, you know, maybe sign some forms and this and that. And uh, Jason kind, Jason kind of got like stiff. Like I think like. I think he always wanted to be a wrestler, but I never th- think he thought that, you know, like we would ever go to like a wrestling school or like, I don't think it ever felt like real for him, you know, in a way it was like maybe just a fantasy. So okay, then uh, at that point it, it must've, it seemed like, like, you know, being a, a kid kind of in the same position, like, you know, fantasizing about being a wrestler, it just seemed like it was such an impossibility. Like what right. was it about it, you know, or you, I should say specifically that made you think that this was something that you were going to make happen? I, to be honest, I think I was just like, just like romanticized about it yeah. so much. And I, and then I was like, when it, I remember being in middle school and, and just the way that I started watching wrestling was way different from the rest of my friends. Like they were like watching it like completely as fans and I was still watching it as a fan. You know, I still do, but I was like watching it to really break it down mm. and like really to understand it, you know? And that, like there was somewhere in that time where where my mind was going to a different place while I was watching it, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I think that with to be honest, as silly as it sounds, with the education that you know, that I was getting, you know, from the internet and like learning more about it and how it worked, I think the more excited I got about it and the more I was tr- like trying to make myself understand it, so, because I knew that I, I I wanted to do it, and I and and to be honest, I thought like okay, this is my my honest thinking was. I'll never make it to WWF or WCW because I'm too small. But ECW, I have a shot. Mm. That's so. That was my my thinking. Is like if I can get to ECW, I bet you I can get into you know maybe one of these other companies later. If I work my ass off, I got to get myself to Mexico. I got to get myself to Japan. I got to get myself to ECW. I wanted to go the route of Eddie and Jericho and Benoit and you know and, and Malenko. Those guys. I thought. Okay, look, I'm I'm small like them, so if I go that route, I, uh, maybe I'll have a chance. That was my plan. So you guys so, were like kind of the first generation of wrestlers that was, you know, like you know, prior to that, you know, once again, I'm I'm an outsider, but it seems like a lot of it were guys that were trying to be football players, didn't do that, or trying to do this, didn't do that. But you guys were the first generation of guys. It seems that, you know, there are exceptions before, I'm sure, but that were like wrestling fans and we're versed right. in like the idea of like, Oh, there's, there's companies in Japan that do this. There's companies in Mexico that do this and you can travel around and do all this stuff. Like something that fans today take for granted, but you were the guys that were kind of like you know, figuring this all out for yourselves. Right. Right. And it was literally figuring it out, like little pieces here, little pieces there, mm-hmm. you know, and then kind of like connecting the, the, the whole thing. It's like, okay, well, all right, well, okay. They say, you know, on, on Nitro, they say Chris Jericho wrestled in Japan. I was like, well, you know, where the fuck did he wrestle? So then, you know, start looking at Japanese wrestling. But, you know, there's not a ton of information at, about Japanese wrestling. There's like, it says New Japan, All Japan, you know, but, um, you know, it has like a list of champions. There's a couple of pictures, but there's not like a shit ton of pictures. So you don't really know what it is. You know, mm-hmm. there's no, the, the videos are hard to find. There's a scare still. It, it, and the next year or two later, once RF video comes out, then, you know, more, you're, you're able to actually see it, you know? Yeah. So kind of like, you know, 
And there was like little things of WCW where like, you know, somebody would come over from Japan, but you don't really understand the magnitude. Like if a Liger comes over in 93 or 94, you know, you don't understand how big of a star Liger is. You know, you have no idea because you've never seen it. He's just in the U.S. So you don't know, you know, he's just a guy, you think, you know. And it's weird because they would never, yeah, they would never present those guys as being as important as they were. You know, like they would never give right. you a video package to be like, no, this is a huge deal. Like him coming over right. and wrestling. Um, it was just kind of like, here's another guy and another guy. <laughs> yeah. So like kind of learning about these, the, you know, uh, these guys, especially, at, you know, Jericho and, and uh, Eddie and, and Benoit and Malenko, then you, you could kind of understand like the, you know, how they got here and their path and like what they went through. And then, you know, ECW that, you know, the, that's that's basically where you you know you, I got most of my information. Uh, so then that was my plan. That you know in middle school I was like I'm that's that's what I'm gonna do. I just gotta make it happen. I gotta get to a wrestling school. For some for some reason I just had this like confidence that uh, kind of ignorant blind confidence that I that I was gonna do it and 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 make it somehow because I you know like I had a plan of some sort. You know I didn't I don't know why. You know I guess it's you know, you're young, but you love something so much that you just think, you know, you're just, maybe you're just not, you know, you're just afraid, you're not afraid to take the leap, you know, when, when the time actually comes. And when it came, I was all in, you know, like, so, so we, we ended up going down to the wrestling school and I, I talked my mom into it and she took us down and, uh, you know, I could feel, you know, pulling up to this shitty hole in the wall. I mean, like almost dilapidated kind of building, uh, you know, but we, we pull around the back. It's in like this really, um, small, uh, commercial center. And, you know, we pull in and, you know, the door opens and there's Jesse Hernandez greet us. He's like, Hey, how you doing? You know? And he's like, I was like, Oh, I called earlier this week. You said, you know, he said to bring my mom. He's like, yeah, come on in. And we, you know, we're like one of the first ones to get there. It's a Saturday morning. It's like 10 AM. And, uh, and we walk in and there is like, wrestling posters and memorabilia all over the walls right yeah and then there's and then right in the center of this the the ring barely fit between the two walls like barely barely fit like if you hit the the ropes on either side you you know there was holes in the wall from people hitting the ropes too hard (laughs) the ceiling uh you know was you know because the ring was like tall it was like an old wwf type of ring Mm -hmm. like you, you could only uh, go up on the second rope. And if we were up on the second rope, you'd be touching, you could touch the top of the ceiling. So, I mean, this place was tiny, but, dude, covered with wrestling posters and memorabilia. I walked in there, dude, I thought it was heaven. Yeah. I was like, this is it. You know, like, you, you could only imagine, right? Like, this was like the, this is where I've been waiting for all my life. No matter, I look back at it now, it was like the shittiest place ever, but like, <laughs> To me, it it I, I saw the the beauty in it, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was gonna say no. I, there's there's something like uh, there's a beauty to all the wrestling schools. Like you know, this year having to spend mm-hmm. a lot of time getting to go to them. That no matter how dingy or how run down or where it is, it, it there's always just like sort of this magic and energy that I guess is like going to a right. DIY venue or going to like a practice right. space. Like it's like a, so much potential, so much you know. Just, just dormant kind of like energy ready to go off. Yeah, I, and and you can feel it while you're yeah. in there. Dude, there was one guy in there. His name was Phenomenal Phil. It ended up being, and uh, 
you know, he was like another guy, you know, he was like, like he could do a moonsault. He showed us that he could do a moonsault from the second rope, <laughs> oh like scraping God. his feet <laughs> on the, on the roof as he did it. But he was able to do a moonsault. And like, I was like, oh my God, this guy has to teach me how to do it. Like, dude, this guy is, this guy is better than Shawn Michaels. That's what I was thinking. I was like, this guy is better than Shawn Michaels. Like I was like on the way home, I was literally telling my friend, that dude is better than Shawn Michaels. He can do moonsault off the second rope, springboard. I mean, how is that guy not signed? That guy can do that. Then, dude, we got to go back. We got to go back. So, like, anyway, we had, like, the greatest time in training. We learned how to, like, run the ropes and do, like, simple rolls and bumps. And uh, I think, like, I just, I just loved every second being in the ring. So like going back to school and that, and this is what I'm 15. So I don't have a license yet. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, you know, I, I can only go every once in a blue moon, but it's really the only thing that I can think about, you know, like being away from it only made me want it more, you know? So like, uh, as, as soon as like I would get whatever training I could get in. And then, uh, when I turned 16, I was like, okay, I'm going like two or three times a week, you know, late, you know, like, Thank, thank God my parents are cool, like, because I was going, like, the, the, the sessions would be, like, from 8 to, like, 11. So, like, I'm in high school, and I'm, like, driving in, like, you know, a 60 miles or 65 miles, whatever it is, you know, over there. And then, uh, you know, do, doing wrestling training, come home at, like, midnight, you know, like, during the week, you know, <laughs> sort of, like, 1230 or something, yeah. They must have seen how much you wanted this. Like, you know, the fact that you were this driven – to do this this young they must have just believed that like he's not going out and partying and lying he must right. really want this because yeah like just the dedication to know that young that this was something you're going to do and then to achieve it like that's something that i think you know it's just so like you know like most people spend their whole lives trying to search what they're meant to be doing you know i'm still doing it right. i'm still trying to figure out what i'm supposed to be doing right 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 <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I think I think we all are in a way still, you know, I mean, like, even though, uh, you know, you know, thank God, I, you know, I, I found wrestling and I have a wrestling. That's always like the the thing I lean on. But like, there, you know, I'm always trying to find like, there's still being, you know, being that 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 kid from the uh, uh, what, what was the area you were saying from the video store era? Like, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to be, you know a director of some sort, you know, like <laughs> trying to put together some kind of independent film. And, you know, I'm still thinking about, you know, uh, making music, you know, and stuff like that, you know, like, like I, that, ne- that never left me, you know, mm-hmm. all that is still there. It just kind of got piled under, uh, the wrestling stuff because the wrestling was the main goal, but like all those other ones are still there and I'm just trying to find ways to do them and go after the things that I've always been interested in, you know, and, and how do I, how do I do it? You know? And, and, and make it, you know, happen in some kind of way, you know, whether it's just for me or for other people or, or for, you know, the one guy, like, uh, what is his name? Marty, uh, or whatever. Oh, Martin Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, Martin Scrooge. <laughs> no, please don't make any for him, Rocky. <laughs> He's got enough. Don't give him anything else. Okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> He's also got the Carter, uh, he's got the Carter five, right? Yeah. He does, yeah. So, yeah, he's, yeah no, he doesn't wild. need any more. No, no private wrestling events for him. <laughs> I'm gonna ask him if he well, if he wants six trees, vice three. You know, I'm a, I'm his man. I'm the only one. Who can. <laughs> um, uh, if, when mutual friend and and you know one of Turned Out Punk's most appearing guests ever, MVP was on the show for the first time. He talked about a certain point where he had to s- decide. 
you know, that he was going to be into wrestling over music just because of the dedication that wrestling required. Did you ever have to make that choice? Or were you able to kind of keep going to shows while, while wrestling? Um, no, you know, yeah. I, it's, it's harder than ever to go to shows, uh, just because, you know, a lot of shows, you know, a lot are on the weekends and stuff like that. And that's when, you know, wrestlers mm-hmm. are wrestling, you know? Mm-hmm. So be, I think being in the entertainment business, uh, in two cultures that are very similar and then the way they're run, it, it's just super hard, you know, it, it's just super hard. Or, or if I'm in Japan, I'm touring. It's really hard to go to gigs, but every once in a while, like, uh, I've got a friend over there in Japan. Um, his name is Toshi, and he, uh, you know, he's a huge music uh, fan, uh, fanatic, really. And uh, you know, every once in a while, he'll be like, "Hey, you're in town, and you know, so and so is playing." Like, no matter how, like, if it, even if I'm not into them or anything, I mean, like, you you got to go, right? You know, like, it could be, you know. Uh, like he invited me to like a Sting concert. Like I've never really been interested in seeing Sting live, but you know, like it's in Japan. You got to do it. Yeah, I'm gonna fucking go. Are you crazy? I mean, it's it's probably gonna be awesome. You know, I'm gonna find something that that I really you know like about it. You know. Yeah. Uh, so and then in even like uh, there's a lot of times he invites me to stuff that you know like I don't know at all. Like any bands like I've never heard of or like uh, bands from another country and uh, and he'll invite me and uh, and it's just music is music right it's universal mm-hmm. no matter you know you don't you don't have to actually know the songs to really enjoy it mm-hmm. so so and then, and then I, I realized oh fuck man this is this is so cool i you know this is what i fell in love with as as a kid and damn I, i'm missing out i always feel like i'm missing out you know so like the last concert that i was really wild that i really wanted to go to was um the watch the throne concert just because i saw i'd seen like clips that looked like just crazy and like all the visual art and stuff like that. And I was like, dude, I got to go to that. And it, and it still pisses me off that I didn't go now. Like those, that was the last concert I was like, I got to go to, I got to go to. But I, I think I just kind of like, um, fell away from it. You know, I think, but I, it's something that I wish I, I, I had more in my life. Like I wish that me and my girlfriend would go to like concerts more at, like we always talk about it, but we, we just haven't done it because I'm so freaking busy. You know? Yeah. I definitely can relate to that. Like, I think I, I, Probably Japan was the most concerts I went to this summer, you know, when I was in Japan because mm-hmm. I had, you know, a little bit of time filming the show because all the shoots would end so early that I could go and see, you know, the occasional band play. And my biggest bum out, my Watch the Thrones was seeing missing Kojima's brother's band, Tetsuara, because I had to go to a stardom show. Damn. I work. tell you, I tell you, work gets in the way of living sometimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dude, you, you know what band? Okay, this is not the first band but, that I saw, but this is the second concert that I went to. Yeah. Okay. Um. By the way, the the, the first concert, one of the bands was Bucko Nine. Oh was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And um, God, I wasn't high strung. It was somebody else. But um, oh, high standard. Second one. Uh, no, I wasn't high standard. Strung out. No, it wasn't strung out. Yeah, I can't remember what the headline was. I find was. the Roadburners. They're kind of a rockabilly band. No, okay. no, no. Yeah, I have to. I gotta remember. I gotta have to look it up after. But you can put it in the show notes after. But yeah. um, <laughs> oh, well, definitely. Don't worry. You text me. I'll, I'll make but, sure I'll put it in the beginning. <laughs> the second, the second uh, band that I saw live, and we saw them at the Key Club, was Voodoo Glow Skulls. Yeah, and they they were fucking so fucking amazing. 
like the energy and to play like uh you know fucking trumpets the way they were playing and you know all these horns and shit like that like with all this fucking crazy energy was like insane and they did it for hours was was How that crazy too? Because I always hear stories. Their shows in kind of the L.A. area were like super heavy pits and stuff. Like, yeah, oh, it was heavy. Yeah, it was heavy. It was super fucking heavy. And dude, that was like the the fucking. It was it was like if that was like going to like a wrestling match, like that yeah. kind of like energy. That to me that that was like oh shit, this is like fucking wild, you know. And it was so crazy because those guys, uh, they're from Riverside was not too far from where I trained. And uh, one, so one of the referees that uh, Rick Knox, who's like a kind of a, an infamous referee now mm-hmm. because of a uh, pro wrestling gorilla and stuff like that. Uh, he was friends with them. And I was coming after that concert, I started coming out to Voodoo Glow Skulls. And then I come to find out that they filmed the video with the, with the school of hard knocks the people that I trained with like a year before I joined. Oh, fuck. So then I, I saw that video. Now that you're talking about yeah. it. Fat Randy, no. Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, yeah. And with all the guys that I was wrestling, they they did a video with them at the San Bernardino Arena. But like a year before, uh, I joined. And then I was like, oh, shit. I was like, dude, I love Voodoo Glow Skulls. And they were like, and I guess they they had uh, seen me wrestle a couple times because they just like, they were friends with him. So every once in a blue moon, they would like stop by uh, where we would wrestle at. But I didn't know, you know. So they were like, dude, yeah. Um, I told them that you come out to Voodoo Glow Skulls, and they were like, they thought it was so fucking cool. They're like, they want to like make you some music or something to come out to. I was like, what the fuck? But they never did. We never hooked it up. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, Voodoo, damn. if you're listening, dude, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Voodoo Glow Skulls um, were your entrance music for a while? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. that's awesome. Have you ever have, have you ever had any other punk yeah. songs? Um, I wanted Voodoo Glow Skulls because I, I like I thought it fit like it, it fit the gimmick because I've always had like a Cuban gimmick so like mm-hmm. I was like one of the like Cubanitos so uh, I like I thought that it would be cool because you know they were like Latinos and they're playing like this like kind of hard ska music kind of thing you know so then I was like uh you know like I don't know I just thought it was like cool and it was different there was like horns in it and shit like that so like people. Anybody who listened to it would be so unique to listen to for, for most wrestling fans. That's what I was I was thinking. So I was just kind of like thinking, trying to think out of the box. But um, any other punk? Mm, I don't. Well, no, I don't think so. We had Rage Against the Machine was our was our song for like a really long time. Uh, Bulls on Parade. And that's definitely connected to hardcore because Zach was inside out. Yeah. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, Bulls on Parade. That was like the Cubanito song for like four yeah. years. Well, I've seen that uh, on a couple Havana. videos over the years. Yeah, Havana Pipples. Yeah, yeah. Havana Pipples for like many years. That was it. Yeah, we had that in our age uh, when they were st- when they were like I don't know how they were playing the, that music, but somehow they were. I don't think um, I don't think Gabe was making a lot of calls <laughs> to clear a lot of that stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Played all that licensed music, um, and then it's funny because like I wish that's the one thing that you know like hopefully now that we're heading into this era of streaming that we can go back and re-put in all those classic uncleared songs into those wrestling matches dude that that was why ECW got so hot I oh thought, yeah I always thought right because well, you had the he soundtracked the whole fucking thing you know it's like, funny because we were on Matador Records for the longest time that was our label 
and Gerard, who owns Matador Records, has been on this podcast a few times. And he was also on my short-lived wrestling podcast. And when he was on that, he talked about how he licensed a John Spencer's Blues Explosion song to Paul Heyman for ECW. But just like, gave it to him for free because he was such a huge ECW fan. was just like, I just <laughs> want to see you use this. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, That's awesome. So awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but like... I mean, going going back to, and talking about like you know Tarantino and the soundtracks and how he- heavy the music was, you know, uh, Scorsese too is like how heavy the music was to to uh, the film. Heyman basically stole that idea, you know, mm-hmm. from those guys mm-hmm. and used that, you know, for ECW because, like, you think about it, everybody had a a, a theme song that was like perfect to them. The entrance, how long it would play. It wouldn't just play like a normal, you just walk to the ring and it was it. That thing would play forever. Like, think about the Sandman. You know, you think oh, about, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's his name? New Jack. Where it would With Natural Born Killers for the whole It would just match. play the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the whole, the whole you know, on a loop. You know, and they'd be wrestling for like 15 minutes, you know? So, like, that's pretty crazy, like how it's all connected. I kind of just kind of put two and two together but it, like that, that's wild it, it, it all makes sense well it's funny because when you always have bands playing when, when they have a band playing a wrestling event it's always in between matches but like right. maybe it would be better if the band just played during the match and a soundtrack to what was going on mm-hmm. in the ring yeah uh, that, but very few be, bands could pull a- off 20 minutes <laughs> that'd be awesome you have yeah. to speed it up as when you know when those drama unfolds I mean that'd be cool I think it would expose most bands as being uh, nowhere near as talented as the wrestlers in the ring as <laughs> far as improvisation goes and as far as uh, rolling with the punches and stamina and right. you know it's a much cushier lifestyle on the music yeah. side Rocky you made entirely the wrong choice you should have gone with your friend <laughs> way back when <laughs> Oh, man. I should have listened to my friend, right? Like, yeah, exactly. We could stay friends for that whole week. I was going to say yeah. the drives are shorter. Uh, <laughs> the routing makes a little more sense over here. Right, right. <laughs> There's no physical toll. Oh. Uh, well, I don't know, man. It looks like you've been through some stuff physically. Some of your work. Yeah, but but that's the thing, right? Like, if I'm able to pull this off with the minimal amount of work I'm doing in there, imagine what someone who's <laughs> physically talented could do. <laughs> that's you know, what I'm worried right. about Brody yeah. being in this, uh, you know, being in both sides of this business because I'm worried he's going to expose what I do on the lead side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm looking at what he does in the ring, and I'm like, oh, please yeah. don't incorporate that into, a, you know, a God's hate set or something. Right. Dude, he's good too, he's awesome. man. He's oh. like really good. Yep. No, he's he's amazing. He's definitely uh well, friend of the show, past guest now and but someone okay. who uh you know, I think really this last year, you know, and and testament to yourself too on this one cuz didn't you train him? Yeah, he trained a lot with me uh, yeah. for the last like for about 2 years. Yeah. So he's kind of like this last year, he's like one of those guys that, you know, has has kind of risen to the top of that independent kind of fan pool type thing or just people on the independent yeah. circuit that fans want to see wrestle. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I, I think that 2018 is going to be huge for him. Mm-hmm. I just have a feeling like he's like right on the cusp of like, just like blowing up, 
you know, and, and something a bit more, uh, even like a bit more major, like one of the more major independents, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he's going to have a big year. I, I have a feeling as long as he stays safe, you know, stays healthy. I think, it, I think he, he, something big is going to happen for him. I just, I, I have a feeling. I know it. I know it. It's usually like now it would be a really exciting time to be like a wrestler in his position just because there's a lot of options that weren't necessarily there, you know, seven or eight mm-hmm. years ago. Right. Right. And what's, I mean, obviously what's so interesting about him is he, how big he is and mm-hmm. how athletic he is, mm-hmm. you know, that's like the crazy thing. So like he can have these, you know, he can, he's so versatile. He can go with, you know, these big, he can go with a big guy, uh, you know, and have like a hard hitting match. He can go and have a, a match with a, a smaller guy, and you know, move that guy around like he's Rey Mysterio. Even if that guy isn't, you know, very good, you mm-hmm. know, he he can manipulate it uh, and make it look great. So uh, he's got a, a huge future. It, it's kind of crazy that he kind of uh, found it like a little later in it in a, in his life. Obviously, he you know he was he was playing music and he was doing other things, but like in the short amount of time that he's been doing it. It's crazy to see how good he is, you know? Well, and it's also like it might be something to someone's benefit, I would imagine, having that experience, being on stage, being comfortable in front of an audience and kind of like just talking to people on right. mass. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Definitely, definitely. And he, yeah, because he does it, he has such a confidence and such a, uh, you know, he's so comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, definitely. And I mean, you know, being on stage and, and you know, acting like a fool for some reason, you know, in the beginning, that's hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard to do, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, you, you know, even going out, not to take away from, you know, from wrestling and, and, and how difficult it is, but I mean, you know, it's hard, you know, you're acting in a way, you know, for, for some of the stuff to like, you know, to sell a punch when you haven't been touched is tricky for some people, you know, very, very tricky. And, and you, you know, you kind of have to just kind of, be completely open and understand that like you have to fully commit to it or unless it sucks, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise it's going to, it's not going to be good and nobody's going to believe it. So, and the whole thing is to try to spend that, you know, that disbelief. So, um, it, it's cool to see how comfortable and, and see how far he's gone in the last, you know, couple years. And I think he's going to have a huge career and, you know, and I think 2018 is going to be like where he just, they could just, you know, shotgun him into, into something really big. I have a feeling. It's amazing right now when you look around, like, you know, you mentioned how before when you were younger, there, you had your wrestling friends and then your, you know, show going to friends that were in a punk. It seems like now more than ever, there's just so many wrestlers that come from, you know, punk music or, or that sort of scene. And, you know, so many fans, like, you know, you go to a, right. an average wrestling show in North America now, or, or at least Canada and America you see so many punk shirts, like so many kids mm-hmm. wearing like punk and hardcore shirts and wrestling shirts, obviously too. But like, it just feels right. like it, 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 the two worlds are finally kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, um, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I definitely, it's, it's coming together more, but I like, it's definitely always been there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you've seen it like the random or maybe not so random, but like, at indie shows, you would see, you know, guys wearing, you know, you know, punk shirts, uh, you know, you know, old and new, and then, you know, or and or wrestling shirts. I've I, I've kind of feel like like they've always kind of been in tune with each other, you know, in a way. But I, but I but I think you're right. Like now, it's kind of like closer than it's ever kind of been. 
But, uh, like, I don't know. I was, I was one of those kids, you know, wearing fucking no effect shirts to fucking <laughs> some shitty swap meet, you know, independent <laughs> wrestling show, you know, <laughs> thinking I was cool as fuck because I was like, better none of these people know who no effects is, you know? <laughs> so, like, I don't know. It was like, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to see that all that kind of happen, you know? Yeah, like I think there's always been like obviously Bob Mold writing for WCW and and there's actually like a zine that like a bunch of punk dudes did in the mid '80s, uh, all about wrestling. Uh, oh really? Yeah, it was like Bob Mold wrote for like a bunch of people in big bands, like they were like well known kind of hardcore punk bands, you know, in the mid '80s, like you know Bob from Husker Du, the guy from the Stretch Marks, I think wrote for it, and a bunch of other people. Um, so there, yeah, you're right. That that sort of connection has always been there. I think the difference is now it's like a lot more punk people, other than Robbie Brookside, are are in the ring. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, and obviously starting with you and CM Punk and and uh, Matt Cross and you know that that wave of of guys too. But like that's continuing to today. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, and I think it all kind of comes around to like uh, what we were talking about earlier, and just how uh, how easy it is, you know, now to to get into different bands, and you know, and the exposure, how you know how easy it is because you know you can just flip on your phone and and boom, it's right there, you know, and you've got like set, you know, ten more bands that that you you know, you find one band. You can find nine more that are that you know have something similar about them, you know, and how easy it is. And the same thing with wrestling, in a way, like you you know, once you go down that rabbit hole, you you see uh, you know you find uh, you know MLW Major League Wrestling or mm-hmm. you know PWG, then you just start you know finding the next one, the next brand, the next brand, you know, and it, and it just kind of all comes together. I don't know. It, it, it really we're living in a special era. I'm, I'm curious to see what it's going to be like. Like. 10 years from now to see how, how much it actually changes, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm, cause it's constantly changing, right? Everything is like constantly changing around. It's like, and ev- like every second. Oh yeah. And like, if you I, look at this, the equivalency that we were talking about earlier that happened in film and in rock music, it's like those two revolutions changed the faces of those businesses forever. So like you wouldn't right. really imagine this will probably have the same effect on wrestling. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Like, I, I'm curious to see how wrestling might change with technology, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, now we are talking about, you know, VR, like real VR now. And, you know, a 360 camera. Like, nobody's implemented any of that stuff in, in the ring yet. You know, like, mm-hmm. what, you know, that could be something that, that could be a part of the future. You know, we don't know yet, you know. That'd be something that I, I'd, I'd be curious to see. Like, technology-wise, like, what can we add to wrestling that would make it fucking cool, you know, like indifferent, you know, at this point. Yeah. Or like it, you're right. Like changing the way wrestling shot, like so much of wrestling has been shot the same way for so long mm-hmm. that I, I think that's probably why, you know, so many people like myself freak out when you start getting into new Japan is because you're finally seeing wrestling presented in a different way. And it's a way that mm-hmm. you know, a lot of fans want to see wrestling presented. <laughs> right. Right. No, I mean, like, and, and what makes and for the for the listeners who aren't, aren't familiar with uh, with New Japan is like it's shot more like a sporting event, mm-hmm. you know, so like like it, it actually feels like a, it looks and feels like a, if you were going to watch a boxing uh, pay-per-view, you know, more than it like WWE where 
it, you know, they try to make it seem as if you're watching like a, you know, uh, an action movie, you know, where mm-hmm. they're like zooming in and out on certain things. And, and, and uh, the, the, <laughs> the cuts, are, the cuts are quick, you know? So, um, yeah. So like, you know, new Japan, like, you know, they'll, they'll stay longer. They'll stay wide. They'll, you know, uh, they'll move in only on the face on certain times when the expression is there, you know, but, uh, it's, it's slower paced, you know, in a in kind of way, like the, in the way that the camera moves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, so it gives you that sports kind of feel like the anticipation of when something actually does happen, then, you know, it, it comes, it has a bit more of an effect on it, you know, than just like, bah, 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 you know, in your face, kind of like quick, 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 you know? Yeah, so. and that's why I think people look back on, you know, like there are obviously matches at WrestleMania that people talk about years later, but, you know, there's not really the same sort of, uh, I don't know, gravity put on the matches, it would seem, at WrestleMania that there is at, say, Wrestle Kingdom. Right. You know, like I still think about Wrestle Kingdom matches that I watched four years ago, and I still go back and rewatch them just because the match was incredible, but just the way it was presented to me, it feels right. like something that needs to be revisited. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think th- there's like a, a real spectacle of like sport, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like a spectacle of entertainment where entertainment sometimes, you know, is, uh, you know, you watch it that one time and it can be forgotten of because, you know, like, Oh, it was like, Oh, he came, it's here. But like, like, uh, you think about those, like, I think about WCW was kind of shot that way too, you know? And I, I, I like, there's some classic matches that like, I remember like the early nineties of, of WCW, like one match for, uh, that sticks out in my mind was this, uh, Iron Man match between, uh, Steamboat, Ricky Steamboat and, uh, Rick Rude. And, and it's like this crazy, just like kind of technical match where the, you know, it was an Iron Man match and they go like 30 minutes or whatever. But it's it the way it's shot and the way it looks like it doesn't look like the lighting is not like crazy you know mm-hmm. like like bright you know it's like kind of dim and it, it it just it feels there's there's like smoke in the air you know it feels like like a sporting event it feels like these two guys are just going out there truly testing that you know each other it feels that way even though the the sport you're you know the 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 match is is worked, you know, or mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it's set, you know, it's set up to feel that way, but it still it feels the same way as if you were to watch, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you go back, you watch an Ali versus you know uh, Frazier or something, you know, it just has that same kind of feel. Yeah, like I would challenge any lapsed wrestling fan before they really decide that they don't like professional wrestling anymore to to get into Japanese pro wrestling first and just or just to watch some Japanese main events from you know new japan obviously oh, yeah. but any company even just it's just it, it it i don't know that for me was what i think got me back in in a major way was kind of any for me it was fmw but <laughs> seeing fmw oh, that's cool. early on at, you know when i was getting those dvds it was like oh fuck this is what i wanted to see and then of course later on getting into new japan and, and just kind of like understanding like oh there's this place uh, much like music and much like film where wrestling's taken much more seriously and it's called Japan and it's the most perfect right. place on earth. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and definitely that's how, that's how I felt. And, and that's kind of been like, 
one of the hardest uh, reasons not to leave, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and I've had chances to, to try something else and, you know, and, and, I, and trust me, I like challenging myself and trying new things and, and, and moving on. But like, it's been hard to leave New Japan, uh, you know, or it, because it, I do feel like it's the perfect place for wrestling. And, you know, and I do have so much freedom to, you know, pursue other things and, and uh, you know, and, and and the way that they treat you there, you know, it's it's treated with respect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they don't blow it off as like, oh, well, that's just, you know, wrestling. Oh, you know, oh, is that that fake thing? You know, it's not like that, you know, over there. It's, you know, people people really respect what you do and they understand how physical and how hard it is. And, you know, and, and when, you, you know, when you talk to somebody there and you tell them, oh, you've been, you know, on the road for two weeks or three weeks and you haven't been home and you live, you know, they understand that like, oh, shit, you know, the, and you're wrestling. I mean, that, that's, that's hard, you know? You know like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, and with a certain respect, we're like, even over here, it's like, oh, well, you know, the first thing, if you tell somebody you've been on the road for two weeks and you've been wrestling, you know, not all the time, but, you know, a bit of the time they're going to go, oh, but that shit's fake anyway, right? So. Yeah. You know, like, like, yeah. So it must not be that hard, you know. So that's when that's when you go seventies on them. <laughs> that's when. Just like, let me show you the fake thing. Jack them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it, also, like when you're in Japan, it just there's a uh, you know, like as a fan, you can immerse yourself like the same way you got excited when you went to that wrestling school because you finally felt like you were home. It's like in Japan, there's restaurants owned by wrestlers. There's stores owned by wrestlers. There's, right. You know, there's like museums that you can buy stuff at <laughs> like for wrestling. Right, right. It's just very, uh, you know, it's just, it's very much like, like every, it feels like every pop culture thing is treated like this in Japan. Um, but it just, it just feels like it's, it rewards you for being a fan. You know, what's cool too is like the fa- like exactly the fans and the fans are loyal mm-hmm. to the end. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not, what's cool about Japan is like, they're not just with you, uh, you know, during your, your period, you know, where like, okay, you know, you're in all your glory. Like they're, they're kind of in it more for the the long haul. Not all of them, obviously, you know, the, the, the casual fan, uh, who, you know, who's, who is just in it, you know, for, for the big matches or whatever. But like the, really the hardcore fans, they're like supportive and they're with you down to the bitter end, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that's like why I think a lot of wrestlers can have, uh, you know, careers outside of wrestling when they're done. You know, they can have that, like, like you said, a restaurant and have people come and show up. And not everybody will be wrestling fans, but, you know, they'll have that core group that will come and support and come have dinner, you know, every couple of weeks or whatever over there and come and chat and talk about, you know, wrestling in the old days. But, you know, they, they and, and they still they still appreciate that, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure if like uh, if it would always be if it would be the same, you know, here or like in North America or you know in the states. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. And it's hard for me to t- truly say, you know, because most of my career has been in Japan. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it's hard for me to uh, to relate, you know, and and be like I don't know. But you know, you kind of see it in Mexico a little bit, right? Like Super Astro has his um, torta shop in Mexico City, right? And, yeah, right by the arena. And, yeah, like you can kind of like I, and I think you could probably do it in America. Like you know, it depend the city, but like Sandman's right. Bar in Philadelphia or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think you know it just feels like 
you know, especially now that that wrestling fans are or, are organized and are much more of like a community, that sure. having a place in each of these cities that kind of caters to wrestling fans with memorabilia and stuff like that. So it's like that school feeling that you had, but mm-hmm. where you don't have to take a a you know back body drop in the ring to to get to hang out. Right. <laughs> you know that's a good point. You know that I think that that that's uh, it, it could very well be going in that direction here you mm-hmm. know uh in the states i mean by by saying here or here in north america but um yeah it definitely could be going that route and it could be interesting if that's where we end up because i think that that definitely fans uh you know most of like the fans now who are, are currently watching like independent uh wrestling they are the respectful ones and they are the ones who who are truly supporting it you know like Back in the day, or, or still, you know, like if you would go to like, like the gigs that I, that I would go to with my friends, uh, whether they were big or small, is we'd always try to buy something mm-hmm. right from the band, right? Like you always try to buy something, whether it be CD or T-shirt or something, because you want to support. And I feel like the the generation of fans now really understand that, and that and that especially if you're not going to be in like a WWE that, you know, you're not making, you know, the big bucks. So, you know, every t-shirt counts, Mm -hmm. every pin that you, that you sell counts, every hat, every picture that you sign. Uh, and you know, that, that counts, you know, every eight by 10. So, and it, and it goes a long way because these guys are able to continue, uh, you know, to, to provide the entertainment that you, that you enjoy, you know? So you have, you know, you want to help out, you want to be a part of it, you know, you, you know, and I think that that's that's where we're at right now. Like the last, especially the last like two or three years, you can see it with the young bucks, uh, that movement, the movement with Cody, you know, the being the elite guys, with Colt Cabana, that people are are very invested in wanting to be a part of this independent movement together. And you know, they they know that the only way to do it is like, you know, these guys will will stay and 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 be uh, independent. If, if they, you know, if they're able to live, you mm-hmm. know, they're not asking to become, you know, multimillionaires off this, you know, but that, you know, they, but they, they need to sustain a, a, a living and a life, you know, a normal life, you know? Well, yeah, and it's, mean, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's like, you know, you, you feel like you're, you know, you're putting gas in the tank, you're putting food in the stomach right. in a very direct way. When you buy a shirt from the wrestler, you're buying the shirt of. Right. Exactly. Um, it's It's cool. It's very cool. It, it's a cool time. It, it really is a cool time, and it's a really special time. And I, I hope that it sustains itself for the long term. You know, as because I, I think that uh, really the whole business could change in, in so many ways. You know, and I, and I think it'd be cool. I just think that that I think it's time for things to be shaken up a bit, and uh, you know, and 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 people to get the wrestling that they want. And let them, let them have choices that they, you know, if they want to watch this or they want to watch that, they can they can actually do it and, you know, and and enjoy it and not feel like this is the only option that I have. This is, you know, yeah. I think I think it's cool. It should be like that. That's like a, how music is, right? And mm-hmm. That's how it should be, you know, for wrestling. Mm-hmm. No, and it, and it feels like finally you can have the wrestling you want, right? And and not exactly. have to settle for the wrestling they give you, right? Um, right. Well, Rocky, I got to say, before I met you, I was told that you're one of the nicest people in this business or any business. And I got to I got to back up that with another vote in your favor as being one of the nicest people I've met. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it, man. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. 
I would love to come back. I was going to say, yeah, I would I mean, love to have you back for a part two at some we point. Got lots of stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I, I now I got to like rack my brain and like do a bunch of research on like all the bands that I used to <laughs> listen to or that and all kinds of stuff so I can I can give you some better stories. I promise I will though. Dude, don't worry. No, this was perfect. And believe me, I didn't even get to talk to you about Anoki stories in, in, in <laughs> any sort of real way. So we got to do a part, part two. two. Um, <laughs> Sounds also, good. Well, the, other one, the, the other thing I really want to talk about is the Mexico-Japan connection as someone who's been oh, to right. CMLL. And ever, but we can do that in part two and part three and part four. All right. Sounds good. I'm in. Awesome. Thank you, Rocky, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Rocky will be back for multiple parts in the future. Maybe, maybe I'll get him out for this L.A. thing. I should really ask him before I start talking about that on the show. <laughs> He's probably away in Japan. But, you know, maybe I'll get him on a call. Maybe he'll be phoning in, you know. I'm going to take some phoners on that thing. There's a lot of people that I want to bring to that event that aren't going to be able to be there in physical form, so they're going to be calling in as well. We're going to have, we're going to build a fucking network. We're going to build that punk wrestling connection in a real, real tangible way in February. You know, well, that's this month, but, you know, later in this month. And Rocky's got a bunch of merch for sale at RockyRomeroMerch.com. You can find him at Zuka Rock on various forms of social media. Cool dude. Cool dude. One of the coolest. Uh, once again, uh, so thank you, Rocky, for coming on the show. And Sunday, February 25th, 3 p.m., Turn Out a Punk Live in Los Angeles. The Punk Wrestling Connection is what I'm calling it. You know, just celebrating punk wrestling connections, unity. That's what we're talking about. All right. Speaking of unity, next week on the show, I am united in my joy and my relief that I'm finally getting this person on the show. Patty Schmel from the band Hole will be on the show. And Upset will be on the show next week. Now, to me, she's like the personification of cool. Someone that I've always wanted to talk to. And uh, now you get to hear it. And it's going to be awesome. All right. That is next week on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please come out to that uh, event at Resident in L.A. later on this month. And uh, once again, um, thank you, everyone, for the kind wishes and condolences. And uh, get hug, hug your loved ones. Go out and hug, hug people while you can. Um, I'm grateful that I do. You know, hug people that want to be hugged, like 100%. Don't hug people that don't want to be hugged because that's creepy as shit, but... But hug people that want to be hugged and hug people that you love and, and hug hug your family and, and, yeah, just be with people. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, you can go out there and make your own culture because this stuff is, uh, is, is, you know, kind of keeps you insane. You know, here I am talking to myself right now in my room. Well, talking to you, but ultimately talking to myself. I'm staring straight ahead at my Rey Mysterio piggy bank. And, you know, but it helps, you know, getting stuff out there helps, you know, being creative helps. So go there and make your own culture and I will see you next week. Thank you everyone for listening. Love you.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.